Welcome to the Counselors of Real Estate Thought Leaders podcast series. In these episodes, you'll hear candid and compelling perspectives from subject matters experts who not only represent diverse and novel thinking, but question prevailing thinking. I'm Michelle Criard, 2021 Global Chair of the Counselors of Real Estate and President and CEO of Buzak Real Estate and Equities in Montreal, Canada. The Counselors is a distinguished international group of accomplished leaders within the real estate landscape, solving the world's most complex real estate challenges. Experienced, innovative, and credential problem solvers, Counselors practice in 20 countries and offer expertise in more than 50 real estate disciplines across all its types and classes. Each has earned the prestigious CRE designation. Our guest for this episode is James Nelson, CRE Principal and Head of Tri-State Investment Sales for Avis & Young in, in New York City. James leads a team of three dozen professionals in the sale of multifamily, office, and retail properties. Among the group's noteworthy clients are the Archdiocese of New York, Brookfield Properties, the Carlisle Group, J.P. Morgan Chase, Salvation Army, and SL Green. Among several industries and philanthropic roles, James is the former chairman of the Real Estate Board of New York's Commercial Board of Directors and earned the board's prestigious Edward S. Gordon Memorial Award. He sits on the Board of Governors for the Young Women Men Real Estate Association of New York. Today's we'll discuss with James real estate investment opportunities in a post-COVID world. Welcome, James. Nice to be with you today. Thank you so much for having me. And Michelle, it's always great to collaborate with you. And we just want to thank you for your leadership. We know this has been a challenging year, but it's great that uh, Counselors is uh, delivering such great content and staying active for our, our membership and for those who we serve out there. Thank you. Thank you so much, James. So, uh, James, there, there continues to be a substantial capital ready for investment. Combined with low interest rate environment and a strong stock market, is this the ideal combination or the perfect trifecta for investors in terms of risk reward scenarios? Well, I would I would certainly hope so. And oftentimes, I think a lot of people are comparing this downturn in the market to the financial crisis in two thousand nine because there. Um, so we had a clearly a catastrophic economic event, which led to a, a, a huge decrease in sales volume. So in New York City, what that meant, for example, was from 2007 to 2009, the sales volume dropped 90 percent. OK, so fast forward to now, um, if you look at 2019 to 2020, the, the sales volume decreased by 50 percent, uh, although we have <laughs> You know, for the last few years, we've been seeing a decline. So, you know, the point is that right now we have very low sales volume because many buyers and sellers, for that matter, have been on the sidelines. They're waiting to see how this all plays out, where the opportunities are. Uh, but the one thing that I'm certainly optimistic on and how this is different than the financial crisis, to your point, is the amount of liquidity that's in the market. So um, the amount of um, equity on the sidelines uh, and, and yes, uh, the debt that's available, uh, albeit that type of financing is really more available to the cash flowing assets at a much more conservative loan to value. But uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to it in a little bit. But to talk about the timing and the opportunity in the market today, I mean, I've been doing this 20 plus years. 
I, I haven't seen anything like this before where there is this big of a spread between the cap rates and the 10-year treasuries. And so uh, that really does present the opportunity if you can buy at today's pricing, lock in long-term 10-year debt. Uh, I think um, investors are going to be very happy you know, if they did that. But again, the challenge right now is for investors to be able to find the opportunities. And if you speak to most of them out there, they'll say that they're frustrated because they're not seen a lot of the uh, the deal flow. It's been very quiet because a lot of sellers, uh, not surprisingly, are trying to hold off decisions if they can. They're saying, well, look, if I can sell in six months to a year from now, hopefully once the offices return, once people return, certainly um, to markets like New York, and it might be, I don't want to paint uh, the market with one brush because there's simply other markets here in the U.S. where they, they've had a much quicker return, but we, we can certainly get to that as well. So, but yes, the point is that there is no doubt been a correction in pricing as we as I'm speaking to New York City um, and the spread between those cap rates that are available today and where you can borrow money uh, makes a pretty compelling case. Let's uh, let's look at the the attractive property sectors right now for a second. The the pandemic has shined a light on the life science sector uh, with the aforementioned strong market fundamentals. What other alternative property sectors uh, look attractive for investors in 2021? Well, I guess it depends if you are looking to make a more mainstream investment or if you're a contrarian, but, uh, and you were kind enough to, to mention my bio, kind of the, the major asset class that our team's involved with. So if you look at the spectrum and again, my, my data is just for, for New York City, but trying to understand where pricing is by asset class, uh, th there are several asset classes which have no doubt received um, downward pressure on pricing, but there are other asset classes like life sciences, um, like medical, uh, certainly uh, industrial logistics has been a winner out of this. So, um, but if you look at the hierarchy, um, and and I, I don't even know where to put hotels right now because I, I think we're waiting to see what happens there. I think there's a difference between hotels with for the business uh, traveler and leisure. Um, right. Right. But when you look at you know our post-COVID pricing, land here in New York City has dropped uh, post-COVID 40 percent. You know if you just look at the averages of 2019 versus compared to the second, third, and fourth quarters of 2020. Next which has been most impacted has been retail. Retail pricing is down 25% on average. Multifamily, 15%. Office, 6%, okay? And we can talk a little bit more about office, and, and I think it's, it's still early to, to talk about where pricing is going to go there. But then on the other side, and I don't have enough transactions here in New York to make a statement on the increase in value for, say, industrial life sciences, but anecdotally, I think we can see certainly with the demand uh, and that these are, uh, again, uh, specialties, businesses, asset classes that, that, have, um, that have remained uh, an essential uh, service throughout that um, it's not a surprise that we see a lot of investment demand headed towards uh, that safety. Hmm. And according to, to a recent Cornet Global survey, 55% of the corporate real estate executives expect a smaller office footprint by 2023, actually. 
Is this due to this hybrid remote work tendency that we see, James, or, or shared space shift? Uh, we're starting to see now, actually, but just starting. How will this affect the investment market? Well, and, and that kind of alludes to what I was just saying about the fact that the office sale market pricing has only declined by about 6% post-COVID, but that's because there's been very few transactions. And I think what we're waiting to see is what happens when some of these assets trade uh, that have 20, 30% vacancy or more. Some of these older buildings that need to be repositioned uh, and are going to require uh, a, a lot of work and concessions to try to get them leased, Okay. But, um, you know, your, your earlier comment or question about the future of the workplace, uh, I, I think we're still trying to figure that out. If, if you just look at the data in Manhattan, uh, pre-COVID, we were at a vacancy rate of 10%. Right now, we're at 60%. We also saw that the amount of sublet space has tripled uh, since before COVID, uh, the, the amount of sublet space now in the market in Manhattan is 21 million square feet, uh, which sounds like a very scary number. But again, remember that the office market here in Manhattan is over 400 million square feet. But you know what we are seeing is that as companies' leases come due, yes, for the most part, they are downsizing, right? And or, or um, you know, certainly to figure out how can they um, have flexibility for the future while we see how this is going to work out. Um, you know, some of the big announcements that have taken place in the last week or two, I think we were all encouraged to hear that Google said that they're going to be looking for their workforce to return before September, uh, but three days a week. Amazon has said that they think it's going to be important for people to come back to the workplace. Uh, JP Morgan has said that we're going to give flexibility. So now you say, okay, well, how do I plan for office space in the future when we're not requiring people to come in every day? You know, can we do this hot desking, right, where you don't have a physical office, but you come in and share? So, you know, this is probably the greatest experiment that we've seen in the modern age of, of office use. And I don't think you know, it's I certainly don't have a crystal ball, but I, I think we really need to uh, wait the two years to see how this all plays out, because right now it's not fair to judge how companies are, are using office space. I mean, there, there's regulations, there, there's clearly a lot of safety precautions, there's certainly the liability aspect. And we're still in New York State, for example, we only have 20% of the population that has been fully vaccinated. So I just, I, I think we really need to kind of get through this time, get everyone fully vaccinated, get people back to the office, and then see how the, the office use has changed, right? And if you're only going to have someone come in for three days, do they still have that office or can they have temporary space? But, you know, I, I, I think I'm probably somewhere in between. I, I do believe the companies are going to continue to be more efficient and use less space, but I don't think that they're certainly going to all be remote from here. And I find it very interesting that it seems that the tech companies are leading the way. I mean, you would figure that if, if Google wanted to work remotely, they could have figured this out 10 years ago, and yet they see the benefit of being in the office and collaborating. And then you hear from the financial sector, from the investment banks, well, hey, you've got all these junior people who eventually would like to be promoted. And is there going to be this um, uh, feeling in the office where, hey, if you're not present and you're not a part of it, then how are you going to get, you know, first of all, how are you going to learn? Uh, but also, how are you going to get 
promotions. So I, I think there's a, a lot of reasons why people are going to want to still be attached to a physical office. Uh, but the big question is, if they're not coming in every single day of the week, um, what is that ultimately going to do to uh, the company's space needs? I, I agree, James. And also, I think we're going to be seeing probably a lesser density type layouts as, uh, as companies uh, plan for their new office and, and workspace. So it's probably a little too early. And like you say, probably we should uh, relook at this in, in 12 months, 18 months, 24 months and see really what the impact will be. And obviously the impact on the valuation and the pricing of, the, of this asset class. But based on the data and with the possible exception of retail uh, that you mentioned earlier, 2020 had less of an effect on real estate than the global financial crisis 12 years ago. Why is that? Well, uh, again, I, I kind of mentioned it initially with the amount of capital that's on the, the sidelines. And I, and I, I think you know, the, the financial crisis, we kind of um, <laughs> created this situation, right? Where <laughs> Uh, there was leverage. And I, I remember selling a, a vacant building um, where, where one of the big banks pres- provided 90% financing on pro forma rents, right? That would never happen today. And I think a lot of the big banks learned their lessons and they were a lot more conservative with how they approach these loans and looking for, um, you know, looking for the cash flow and, and really underwriting the deals more carefully. So I, I think that certainly help. But in this situation, again, this isn't something that we that we created or that we did. I mean, th- this is a reality that everyone's living with. So if you're a, a lender and you're having trouble with your borrower because their tenants aren't paying rent right now, um, what's the bank going to do? Take over the property? They're going to be in the exact same situation. And I, I think, um, you know, the financial crisis, it was always, you know, just kick the can down the road. Um, and, and hope, you know, a market recovery saves it. Um, but, but, but I think here, clearly, um, we're not going to see any drastic moves until uh, buildings open back up and tenants come back on the market. And if you even, I mean, we do a lot of work with special servicers and we're doing tons of valuations for them right now, but no one's taking an aggressive stance right now. I mean, sure, you might have some banks selling off loans here and there, but for the most part, they're going to give forbearance and they're going to give their borrowers time to figure this out and work with their tenants and give these tenants a bridge back to life. So I, I think that's where, you know, there's that um, feeling that we're kind of all in this together and we're trying to get through this difficult time. But I think fast forward, you know, six months from now when, you know, the offices that are going to open back up are open. The retailers who are going to open back up are going to open. Unfortunately, you're going to see a lot of these spaces that are going to still, you know, sit vacant or, or again, as we mentioned before, if companies are downsizing. At some point, the lender is going to say, OK, well, we, we've given everyone the chance to come back. But the reality is this building has been uh, significantly impaired. Um, and, you know, th- there, there's going to be a lot of situations where the borrower is going to I think it'll come to when, when their loan comes due and the lender is going to say, okay, well, you want to refinance, you got to either pay down the loan or in some cases personally guarantee these situations. And that's, what's going to create in my mind, a lot of these sell-offs where a lot of these, you know, even some of these long-term owners who would have told you, you know, a couple of years ago, they were very low 
leverage, you know, but now for the first time, they're going to find themselves in some cases under financial pressure. And I, I think that that is really going to um, create a lot of activity in the market where we're going to see kind of the floodgates open and a lot of sales, because like I said, it's not just New York City last year, but you look at the entire uh, country here, um, U.S. sales across the board were, you know, were virtually cut in half. So there's still all that money and there's all that pent up demand. You, you talk to a lot of these funds who want to go and buy distress and do this. And if you ask them, they'd say, I'm not seeing many opportunities out there. So I, I think most of the, the buying opportunities will start seeing later this year or 2022. Yeah, instead of forcing the borrowers to pay up and refinance at the owner's terms, many lenders are now offering modifications, deferral and, and maturity extension, like you're mentioning, uh, some type of lifeline, I guess, to await the recovery. Uh, so the delinquencies uh, are down or decline and property prices are holding up. Um, are we riding out the storms, James, or... or or, or, or basically you're saying probably in a year, year and a half, we'll see probably when the loans come due, when obviously we'll see what happens when there is uh, the office uh, market that's rebouncing, how well it will rebound. We'll see how the, uh, the lenders and, and the, uh, the financiers will, uh, will behave, I guess, with the assets and see if really they're putting uh, uh, the pressure on the borrowers. And that's where you're probably going to see some opportunities. Um, but what do you think? Are we riding out the storm with this? Yes. I mean, again, we're, we're all waiting for this return to, uh, uh, to to the new normal, I guess, so to speak. Right. Um, and I think most would view that as, as once the majority that we have this herd immunity and most of the offices who are saying they're going to return have returned. So I, I think most people are thinking, uh, that come fall, you're going to take a look at, at a building situation. And by then the tenants are either back open for business, paying rent or not. And I, I think it is going to be asset class specific. Uh, you know, the office market does drive multifamily and, and retail, but, um, you know, before all this happened, New York City had 2% vacancy for residential. So, I mean, Right now, we have uh, a lot of vacancy, but that's because so few of the offices. I mean, if, if you look at my building right now, I'd be lucky if there's 20% of the people actually in the building right now working. Right. So, you know, even if that goes up to 60, 70, 80%, you still have a lot of people who are going to come back to the city. Right. And those apartments will fill up. It's just a question of rent. Um, the challenge with office is if there is a structural change in how we work, where there is no longer a need for 400 million square feet of office here, I think it's going to be a flight to quality. And I think those old obsolete buildings, um, you know, are, are really going to have a challenging time because they always they used to uh, survive by being the low cost opportunity. But I hear now some of our brokers on the floor talking about sublease opportunities where you can get class A space uh, for which used to rent for $90 a foot and you can go get it for $45 a foot. So why are you going to a class C office building right now to pay, you know, $40 a foot rent when you can get a new sublet for 45, right? So um, I, I do think that um, 
a lot of it is is hoping that we ride the storm out, so to speak. But I, I think with the structural changes in office, the older product is really going to have a hard time. And that that's why, look, our, our governor here is talking about ways to make it easier to convert office and hotel to residential. So that that's that's something that we need to follow. Um, you know, also with retail, I mean, we, we had a retail issue before COVID happened. I mean, certainly with the prevalence of of e-commerce, which is now really accelerated. And we, we did that great panel um, on reimagining retail, but you know, we, we got to think about different uses for, for retail now. And, and you know, medical is one of them, or even converting ground floor space to residential. But I think these micro fulfillment centers and figuring out how to get goods into people's hands same day, um, that might be an answer as well. So again, it's just, it's very difficult to, um, you know, talk about the market and make generalizations without getting very specific on the asset classes. Right. Well, James, uh, thank you so much for your insights. And uh, I apologize if we exceeded a bit our time, but uh, it was most interesting. In many markets, industrial and office have essentially switched places. The pricing, the pricing and risk associated with office today is pretty much the pricing and risk that was used to be associated with the industrial. And clearly, the one constant of our industry right now seems to be change. And in terms of real estate investment perspective, some of those changes are quite sudden and uh, remains to be seen. Uh, and so join us next time for another episode of the CRE Thought Leaders podcast. I'm Michelle Criard, and on behalf of the Council's Real Estate, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, James. Thank you for having me.